Canto Four, Chapter Twenty Two. Prituma Raju's meeting with the four Kumaras. Maitreya said. While the citizens were thus praying to the high and mighty king Pritu, four sages arrived there as bright as the sun. The king and his associates could recognize the masses of yogic perfection who descended from the ethereal realm by the glaring effulgence of their all-embracing sinlessness. They were the four Kumaras. Seeing the so very desired life of peaceful conduct before them, King Pritu, with his followers, jumped to their feet, as if they were souls whose senses are ruled by the modes of nature. After they had accepted that reverence and had taken their seats, he, humbly opposite the high civilization of their full glory, bowed before them and was of worship, the way it is prescribed, with everything belonging to it. The water of washing their feet he sprinkled on the tuft of his hair, and thus he behaved like men of respect are supposed to behave. Seated on the golden throne, the brothers, who were older than Shira, looked like the fire on an altar. Pleased with them, the king respectfully and with restraint addressed them. Pritu said, To what do we owe the grace of your audience? of you who are fortune personified. It is an encounter difficult to achieve for even the greatest yogis. He with whom these scholars are pleased can achieve whatever that is difficult to achieve in this world or in the hereafter, including the favor of the all-auspicious Lord Shiva and Lord Vishnu who accompany them. Even though you travel around in all the worlds, the people cannot see you, just as the ones causal to the creation cannot see the all-knowing witness present within everyone. Despite not being that rich, those householders may enjoy the glory of most respectable saints like you, who, with their home, can offer water, a place to sit, servants, land, and the master of the house himself. But those houses that, abundant with all wealth, are not blessed with the water that washed from the feet of the great saints, are no doubt like a tree with venomous serpents. I welcome you, O best of the twice-born souls, you who move around like children and, controlled by vows, with great faith are motivated for liberation. O masters, can persons who, having fallen into this material existence, are stricken with the illness of living to the command of their senses, all by themselves find any of our kind of good fortune? There is no need to ask you about your well-being, for you, supreme souls, have no mind concerned with matters of good or bad fortune. I am therefore certain that you for us, who suffer the pains of a material existence, are the friend to ask how one in this world soon may find salvation. Manifesting as the supreme goal in life of the transcendentalists, the Supreme Lord, the unborn one, in the form of perfected souls like you, moves about on this planet in order to show his devotees his mercy. Maitreya said, 
hearing that most substantial, appropriate, concise and sweet conclusion of Pritu, the Kumara, satisfied with a smile, replied as follows. Sanat Kumara said, What a good question for you to ask, my dear king, or you who desires the good of all living beings. Learned as you are, you nevertheless pose this question. This speaks for you as someone whose intelligence roots in the mind of the saints. An association of devotees, in which there is discussion, questioning and answering, is appreciated by both the parties of speakers and listeners, and real happiness for all will expand from it. O King, you are evidently attached to the organized appreciation for the qualities of the Lord's lotus feet. Difficult as it is, that, given a steady practice, will free the indwelling soul from the dirt of lusty feelings. In the scriptures is defended that only the absence of attachment to other matters than the soul, in combination with an intense attachment to the true self transcendental to the modes of nature, constitutes the perfect conviction for the salvation of man. That is realized when one, as a dutiful devotee with faith and devotion, by means of discussion and inquiry, is spiritually united in one's determination and with respect for the Lord of Yoga, regularly attends and listens to the stories of the God-fearing souls. Reluctant to associate with the company of those who hanker after money, sense gratification and the acquiring of goods, one gets rid of the bad taste of the happiness of the self that has to live without drinking the nectar of the qualities of the Lord. With non-violence as a vegetarian following in the footsteps of the teachers of example, by remembering the Lord of Liberation, by testifying of his activities, by the nectar of following according to the yoga principles without a material motive, and by practicing in line with the precepts, one, thus being without offenses, will be living a simple life with tolerance for the worldly dualities. With in one's ear constantly the discussions relating to the transcendental qualities of the Lord, it may be so that one increasing in one's devotion and consciousness is of an uncontaminated existence in the material world that is opposed to spiritual understanding. For when one has realized that kind of listening, it is easy to be attached to the spirit of transcendence. When the person in respect of the teacher of example, is fixed in attachment to the spiritual supreme, the impotence of the heart that is situated within the covering of the individual soul that consists of the five elements, will be burned by the force of detachment and spiritual knowledge, like fuel being burned by fire. After one with that emulation of the inner weakness is freed from the dominance of the complete of the therewith associated material qualities, there is no longer a difference as there was in the past between the inner action with the super-soul and the outer action of the self. For such a soul, that difference has ended, just like a dream ends when one wakes up. The person sees, of himself, both the objects of his senses and his transcendence as the witness. In that position, 
he knows desires and designations, but without those two, not being innerly divided, that is not the case. The only reason for seeing differences between oneself and something or someone else is that there are different causes for each position everywhere, just like it is when one has a reflection in water that is different from one's reflection in another medium, like a mirror. Because the ruminating mind is agitated by the senses that are drawn towards the sense objects, the pure consciousness of one's intelligence is easily lost, just like a lake easily can be overgrown by plants. Scholars of the soul state that, in the destructive, choking, overgrowing of one's memory, the constant mindfulness of one's consciousness is destroyed, and that the soul, bereft of real knowledge, thus degrades. In this world, there is nothing as bad as the obstruction of the interest of the universal soul, a process wherein other matters seem to be much more interesting than the realization of one's own true self one thus hinders. When one constantly thinks, for the sake of riches and sensual pleasures, all the four virtues of human society are destroyed. For that reason, bereft of knowledge and devotional service, one then lapses into the inertia, the ignorance of matter. They who want to cross over that ocean of ignorance quickly, should never cling to the slowness of matter, for that is the great stumbling block for the virtues of religiousness, economic development, regulation of pleasures and salvation. In this respect, liberation is likely to be the most important virtue, because being engaged in the interest of the other three paths, one regularly finds oneself caught in the finality of things and in fear. Following these three notions of a higher or lower form of life, one will never find any security, since they, depending on the interaction of the material modes, are all destroyed by the ordinance of the Lord. O best of kings, be therefore, just as I am, convinced of him, the supreme Lord who, from within the heart, everywhere manifests by dominating as the master of the field. Therein radiating into every hair follicle, he is there for the consideration of self-realization for all the moving and not moving living beings covered by a body endowed with senses and a life breath. Surrender to him, the root cause manifesting as a truth within the untruth. By this deliberate consideration, one is freed from the illusions of an intelligence that wanders, whether one deals with a rope or a snake. One is then situated in the eternal liberation of the uncontaminated pure truth, the truth of the original nature transcendental to all the impurities of one's karmic fruitive activities. Be unto him Vasudeva of devotion, just like the devotees who find him the one whose lotus toes bring joy, with it to take shelter of. By devotional service, the heart knot of karmic desire is uprooted, but that is never so with people missing that respect, however hard they try to stop the waves of sense enjoyment. Great is the hardship of the non-devotees with the sharks of the six senses in this material ocean. Being unhappy, it is very difficult to cross that ocean full of misfortune, that danger of an existence in separation 
and therefore you should make the worshipable lotus feet of the Supreme Lord your boat. Maitreya said, Thus, in full being informed about the ins and outs of spiritual advancement by the son of Brahma, the Kumara who was so well versed in spiritual knowledge, the king praised him and then spoke. The king said, You all, O Brahmins, O powerful souls, have arrived here in order to confirm what was promised by him, the Lord, who from his causeless mercy is so compassionate with the distressed. With you, as fully gracious as the Lord in person, doing what may be expected from his representatives, is all that I have to offer the remnants of the offerings to the saints. What should I give from my side? My life, wife and children, O Brahmins, my home with everything belonging to it, my kingdom, power, land and treasury, I therefore offer all to you. The post of the commander-in-chief and ruler over the kingdom, the scepter of authority and the complete dominion over the planet are no doubt only reserved for those who know the Vedic scriptures. A Brahmin enjoys his own type of food, wears his own type of clothes and gives what he has, his knowledge, in charity. It is by his mercy that the Kshatriyas, the rulers and the other departments of society eat their food. You from your kind of spiritual understanding of making progress with the fortunate one have conveyed to us the knowledge of the Vedic knowers of full comprehension. May you ever be pleased with what you do out of mercy. What else can be done in return for that but offer you water with cupped hands? Maitreya said, After the masters of self-realization had been worshipped by the original king, they praised his character and then, for all people to see, disappeared in the sky. The son of Vena, the first among the great personalities who, according to the teachings being fixed, had arrived at self-realization, considered himself as someone who had achieved what he desired. In his actions, for the sake of the absolute truth, he performed as good as possible and as far as his means would allow, according to the time, the circumstances and his capacity. Fully dedicated to the Supreme Spirit, he free from attachments being of renunciation, always thought of the superintendent of all actions, the supersoul transcendental to material nature. Even though he lived at home, he never felt attracted to all the opulence of his mighty kingdom, nor did he indulge in sensual pleasures, just like the sun never responds to what it illuminates. Always engaging spiritually because of his yoga, he thus begot five sons in his wife Archi, who fully met his expectations. Their names were Vichitasha, Dumarakesha, Hariaksha, Dravina and Vrika. With them, Pritu succeeded in incorporating all the qualities of all local authorities. In his personal surrender to the Infallible One, he, for the protection of the created universe, 
pleased the citizens during his time with the qualities of his kind-hearted words and actions. The king thus was known as the king of the moon, while he, on the other hand, was like the sun-god in his distributing, exacting and ruling over the wealth of the world. In his exercise of power, he was as unconquerable as fire, he was as insuperable as the king of heaven, as tolerant as the earth itself, and alike heaven in fulfilling all desires of human society. He was used to be pleasing as bountiful as the rain that pours as much as one likes. He was as unfathomable as the sea, and he occupied his position like the king of the hills, Mount Meru. He was like the king of righteousness, Yamaraj, in his education. He was like the Himalayas in his opulence because of the minerals and jewels. He was like Kuvera in keeping the wealth, and like Varuna, the ruler of the waters, in his secrecy. He was as all-pervading as the air concerning his physical strength, courage and power, and he was as inexorable as the most powerful demigod Rudra, the lord of the ghosts, Shiva. He was as beautiful as Cupid, he was as attentive as the lion, the king of the animals. In his affection, he was alike Swayambhuvamanu, and in matters of controlling the people, he resembled the unborn lord Brahma. He understood spiritual matters alike Brihaspati. In his personal self-control, he was alike the supreme personality. In his devotion to the cows, the spiritual master and the Brahmins, he was as the Vaishnavas, the followers of Vishnu. In his shyness, he was the most gentle one, and in matters of philanthropy, he was as good as he was for himself. All over the three worlds, the general public loudly declared, and surely all the lovers of truth and the women from everywhere came to hear about it, that his name and fame was as great as the glory of Ramachandra, 